Good evening. Tonight's service is going to be different from most services. We won't even have singing at all, although we love singing and it's an awesome way to worship the Lord. And We're going to have a message, but it'll be a brief message, whereas a normal service would lead up to the preaching of the Word and it would be the highlight of the service and why we come. Of course, we'll have scripture all throughout and be making a lot of references. Hopefully, at least what I'm aiming for is that tonight will feel a little more like a seminar than a service as we consider in this missions month an amazing missions field. So I just wanted to kind of give those disclaimers even as we get ready to begin. And let's start by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for truth, for absolute truth, for the word of God. I thank you for what it has done in my life, what it has meant for my eternal destiny. And I pray tonight during this missions month as we consider our topic this evening, evangelizing Roman Catholics, reaching Catholics with the truth, especially of salvation. I just pray that you would remind us of the huge mission field everywhere around us and that you would move us to take action. I know nothing I could say or things that could be taught, questions and answers can do much, but the Holy Spirit can. And we rely on that and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reaching Roman Catholics with the gospel. As we begin, let's look at a few statistics and think about this. From the outset, I would like us to think of it this way, that this is a mission field we're talking about. If you were to say where Emmy and I were for years and years as missionaries in the Samoan Islands, the Lord has called us to go to the Samoan Islands to be missionaries. We know you were there. What are the first things we, would, we should learn? And I would say one thing, well, you should get to know the language. Roman Catholicism has its own language. In fact, it uses the same words we use, but they have different meanings. So I would say, learn, familiarize yourself with the language. The next thing I would say is that in the Samoan Islands, they have a vastly, a greatly different culture. Familiarize yourself. Get to know the culture a little because you'll be a more effective missionary going there. And then probably a third thing I would say is, if you're going to serve in the islands, you should know the religious landscape and the way people think about religion there, so that when you encounter people, you kind of know their mindset. And I got thinking about it, those exact parallels work with the mission field we'll talk about tonight. And this mission field is global. It's all over the place. Look at that. Worldwide, 1.3 billion Roman Catholics. Now, when you take out what's called the 1040 window, those countries where perhaps the gospel has not been heard or is forbidden, you think about that, that there will be other areas in the world where their percentages are very high. And so I think that's clear enough for us to look at the statistics on the board and just think about that. Brazil with 139 million. 
Mexico with 83% of its population being Roman Catholic. Another 104, 105 million. In the Philippines, 83%, 95 million people, Roman Catholic. And here, if you look at the United States, one in four people in our country would be Catholic. That's a huge mission field. Now, we'll get into different kinds of Catholics, where they are in the spectrum, and those kind of things, but... Let's get it in our mind right from the outset. That's a huge mission field. And I would never say I'm going to be a missionary to Samoa or to Brazil and not learn about it. And yet it's all around us. In Italy, 88% with 51 million. And now look at New Jersey. We can do the math and say one in three people that we encounter are likely Roman Catholic. Now, they may be practicing, they may be non-practicing. They may be very religious Catholics, and you may see a statue of Mary in their front yard, like our neighbor across the street, or they might be lapsed Catholics who are on the registry of Catholics and were baptized Roman Catholic, but they don't even practice it at all. And it might be somewhere in between. They might be a nominal social Catholic. But boy, it's really urgent for us. If we would come out of this service tonight and not have this burden for that mission field, we've missed the whole point. And everything else we do is probably just a little head knowledge or a little bit of information. I would say this as we go into this tonight and start talking about evangelizing Roman Catholics, we will do it lovingly. Loving God, loving truth, and loving our Roman Catholic family members and neighbors. And so that would be the spirit we would want to pervade the whole night, even as we have to highlight the differences and the error, even the apostasy and the blasphemy of a religious system. And if we start to expose those things, we have to realize that most Roman Catholics don't know their doctrine. Most of them were born into Roman Catholicism and, and then they were indoctrinated for years and years a brand loyalty, a loyalty to the church. And so we love Roman Catholic people and want to look for ways to be able to give the truth. But like any missionary, we're going to have to be intentional and we're going to have to learn a little bit together. You don't need to become a scholar on Roman Catholicism and all its doctrines to read Roman Catholics. But you would want to familiarize, and hopefully we'll do some of that tonight. Now, Emmy's going to come and give her testimony, and then I will follow her with mine. We decided to write them out because otherwise we can go on and on and on. I am honored and blessed tonight to share how God saved me 26 years ago. I grew up in a very Catholic family. In fact, my uncle was a Cardinal Piotrofino, the only Samoan person ever to reach that high rank in the church. It was a great source of pride for our family. As a devoted Catholic, I attended catechism classes from childhood to adulthood. I belong to the Legion of Mary, 
was active in the Catholic youth and band, and I tried to never ever miss a single mass. So I would not be guilty of that great sin as I was told and taught. I attended the Catholic high school, what we call college in Samoa. Then I attended the teacher's training college before teaching in the government school for one year and in a Catholic school for seven years. During those years, I wanted more and more to become a nun, to serve God and live a life of service to the church. Everything about the life of the nuns attracted me, except for praying the rosary and repeating all those prayers for hours at a time. In 1986, I moved from Samoa to American Samoa, where I lived on the bishop's compound, and then later at the poor sister's compound, which was next door. While there, I taught at the Montessori school with the sisters. In those years, I still wanted to become a nun, but also wanted to have a family. After a couple of years, I decided in 1989 that at the end of the year, I would join the convent and take my vows. GM arrived in American Samoa as a Catholic lay missionary volunteer teacher in August of that year. He was only supposed to be there for one year before he would be joining the <laughs> seminary to become a priest. In September that year, we had a long conversation one evening. Sitting outside of the hall where the priests were having dinner, we shared how we both wanted to serve the church, but also both wanted to have a family. The next month, we told the bishop that our plans had changed, and the next year in 1990, we were married. Praise the Lord. We were a very devout Catholic couple going to Mass every single morning before going to school. We served in the Catholic schools for seven years. Those are the years God blessed us with our twin son and daughter, Carol, and two more sons over the next couple of years. All four were baptized as infants in the Catholic Church. In 1996, Jim got saved and wanted to leave the Catholic Church. I was so angry and resisted, and we had many arguments in the beginning. But after many months, I finally agreed to go to church with him. On May 27, 1997, I heard a message about the closing Noah's Ark in a song called, Christ Receiveth Sinful Men. When they sang the words, even me and all my sin, I walked forward, repented of my sin, and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Several years later, when I was teaching at Samoa Baptist Academy, the children's memory verse was Psalm 34a, and this became my life verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, Blessed is a man that trusteth in him. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I have tasted his goodness, and I trust him. I am hungry for his presence and leading in my life. I am his, and he is mine. I am a blessed child and member of his family. To God and God alone be the glory. Amen. We still don't know if she kept me out of the priesthood or I kept her out of the convent. <laughs> Amen. So while I was there, 
in American Samoa, at the school, in my office, I got a phone call. That's the context of this testimony. Hanging up from a rushed, long-distance phone call from my brother in New Jersey, I stared at the fax machine, waiting and wondering, what was this big decision he had made that would be best communicated in writing? Finally, my fax machine cranked and sputtered as three pages inched their way across continent and ocean. While the letter was still attached, I was reading it. I raced to get through it. I was stunned. My brother had left the Catholic Church. Worse yet, he dare suggest that I do the same. Did he forget who I was? Surely he recalled that I almost joined the Jesuit priesthood seven years earlier. He knew that although I chose to marry a woman I had met while serving as a Catholic missionary volunteer teacher in Samoa, I was no less devoted to the Mother Church than if I had been one of her priests. He knew I had all of my children baptized Catholic, that I attended daily Mass, not wanting to go even one day without receiving Christ in the Eucharist. He knew that I had been the director of Catholic education and was no mere nominal Catholic. As an active member of the Legion of Mary, I knelt weekly before Mary's marble likeness and religiously recited the rosary. How then could I help but take umbrage at his attacks on such sacred things as Mary's immaculate conception and her perpetual virginity? There was only one right response to my brother's offense. I would defend the Mother Church. I would prove how gravely mistaken my less learned brother was I would show him from the very scriptures that he claimed would lead me away from my former faith that I can use them so that he would return to it. Having no Bible of my own, just Vatican II documents, daily missals, and the newly published Catholic Catechism, I decided to use his Protestant Bible. I didn't need the apocryphal books. During the next six months, I worked on the Apologia. However, I found more questions than answers. Where was the evidence of Peter's papacy and Mary's mediation? Why were we practicing vain, repetitious prayers when our Lord had forbidden them? Why were we forbidding marriage and promoting abstinence from meat when the scriptures associated those things with apostasy? What was I to do when the two divine sources of truth, scriptures And church tradition contradicted one another. They never do, the Monsignor told me. But they did. During that time of intense questioning, the Lord sent me the gospel again and again. It began with a Baptist missionary at the airport who gave me a gospel tract with his information on it to contact him. I carried that tract for six months before I got saved, never dreaming that I would become the pastor of the church. He started restarting it in our living room with six people, our first church plant. Every Sunday I would come home from Mass, and because there was only one channel on the television, I would come home to a church service. And I loved it. They used the Bible. They preached from the passage. They got me interested, but they manipulated at the end of every sermon 
and brought it back to that you've got to be saved pitch. By Christ and Him alone. Every Sunday I turned off the TV saying, I'm not going to watch this again. It's manipulative. But every Sunday I did. And I kept watching. Finally on Christmas morning 1996 before Emmy and the children awoke, I humbled myself and prayed God's holiness, my sinfulness, and hell's terror confronted me that day. In that moment, I realized the Catholic Church could not save me. In that moment, I fled from Catholicism to Calvary. I repented and put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And that day, I entered the priesthood of all believers. To God be the glory. Church, I say to you this evening that there is no Catholic beyond the reach of God's grace and the gospel. It could be a family whose identity and pride is that they're the lineage of the only Roman Catholic cardinal. It could be a person whose whole identity was wrapped up in his Jesuit education and the degrees and his involvement in the church. But God's word can break through but it's going to take somebody. God uses people to get that word to people. Let's take our Bibles and look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3, and I'll just go to the beginning of verse 6. It's up there on the board as well. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Our mini message this evening will be based on this passage. There are a few passages in the scriptures that that as I was searching them, that when I got to them, it was like my notebook with proof text to prove why my brother should remain Catholic, and the other column, which was questions for further study, and yes, I did write it exactly that way. That column of where I had to look at this more and study it more and figure it out, this was one of the biggest ones, a few others, but this one. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. As you look at the passage that I pulled out, the this is good refers to prayers. I exhort you therefore that supplications and prayers and thanksgivings be made for all men. Going into the second verse before the third, for kings and those in authority. So the this is good gives us our first point from our mini message, pray. Every missionary who would come to you would say, we're missionaries to the Samoan Islands. Here's our prayer card. The thing we covet, the thing we need most is pray for us and pray for the people of Samoa. Pray. Include it in your prayers. Pray for all people. Pray for Roman Catholics. They're all around us. You rub shoulders. You interact with them all the time. 
pray, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now take verses 4 to 6 and see the sandwich. See the alls that sandwich the ones. In verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Circle the all there and then go in verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. Look at the gospel in two ways tonight. Look at its complete inclusivity for all people. A mediator for all who desires for all people to be saved. He was a ransom for all. See, that's the truth of the scriptures. It's everywhere. We know the verses over and over. We can do John three sixteen and 17 like that. Whosoever believeth in him, whosoever, anybody, it applies to all. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, all the people in the world, but that they might be saved. That's the great truth. God is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. He's not just delaying his return because he's late to class. Why is he holding off? Why hasn't he not yet come back? Why haven't we been called in the rapture? Because he's so patient. He's so long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See the beautiful inclusivity of the scriptures. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And thank God for that. Thank God I know as I look around and I see many faces and we know one another's testimonies. I know I'm speaking to people who are blessed to know that it reached all that Every one of us who's saved sees the beautiful inclusivity of the gospel. Now take that treasure and say, I want to share that with Roman Catholics. And then look at the ones. Now see not only the complete inclusivity, but see the complete exclusivity of the gospel. There is one mediator, not many, not Mary. Not the saints. There is one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so on the one hand, we know the gospel is meant for all people. And at the same time, we know that there is one mediator. There is one path to heaven. It's just a lovely passage. Of course, I just want to go on and on and on. I like this interview I caught or. R.C. Sproul was speaking with a couple other people, and he spoke about Roman Catholicism. It's one of the things that he's a scholar of and that he shares a lot. I think he may have gone farther than I would go with imagining how many Roman Catholics may already be saved. I probably would be more conservative in the number, but I really like what he says in there. Let's listen. It's a brief video. I mean, it's a gross act of idolatry to be praying to Mary and to the saints. That's a very serious matter. And I think that there are thousands, perhaps millions of people within the Roman Catholic Church who really are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation, not trusting the way of salvation that their own church teaches. Just like there are 
multitudes of people in Presbyterian churches that don't believe in the Reformed doctrines. So that's the happy inconsistency of our friends who, who are in Rome. But they have to understand, as I'll be talking about this afternoon, that Rome has categorically, consistently, and clearly denied the gospel. And no matter all other good things that they do, opposing abortion and affirming uh, the Trinity and all of that, the anathematizing of the gospel at the sixth session of the Council of Trent, which has never been rescinded and reaffirmed as recently as the Catholic Catechism, disqualifies Rome, in my opinion, as a valid church. And I think it's an apostate body. And so, with that in mind, I believe that every true Christian who really is trusting in Christ has a moral obligation to leave that communion and to identify themselves with the church, not, not that it's a perfect church, but a church that is a valid church, a church that doesn't deny an essential truth of the Christian faith. And as long as the gospel is an essential truth of the Christian faith, you don't want to be in a communion that denies it. And, and you get into this kind of stuff where, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm praying to His mother, or I'm praying to these saints, I'm attributing to, to His mother and to the saints the powers of intercession that belong only to the mediator, to Christ Himself. So there's a lot of good truth packed in there, and I tell you, I wrestled with that truth. All those years and all those prayers before Mary, Mary's statue. All those prayers to saints. I remember one day I was in a car with an, another man, Dr. Blomerly, and he said a long prayer and had Mary and the saints, and he, he prayed a long time before we were going to take our trip, and then he went to start the car, and it didn't start. <laughs> and he said, I forgot to pray too. <laughs> Now let's uh, take a look at a few things quickly. In the Catholic Church, there are what are called doctrines and there, are dog- there is dogma. A teaching doctrine may change. It, it, it doesn't carry the same weight. Limbo was one of them. Where do babies go if they die before they were baptized? They go to limbo, came out of putting something in the limbus in the margin, and then it was a teaching for a long time, and the Catholic Church could abandon that teaching because it never reached the level of infallible dogma. And so I just put a few of them, and I'm going to be really fast on these uh, because I do want to leave lots of time for questions and answers. But in 596, Pope Gregory I introduced the teaching of purgatory in 596. If you look up, you see it wouldn't be until 438 that it became dogma purgatory, neither heaven nor hell, a place where people go for them to be able to purge their sins. And that happens largely through indulgences, which were introduced in 1190. And we kind of, many of us would know the Reformation and know that was one of the 95 theses that Luther nailed to the door at Wittenberg and is symbolically the beginning of the uh, of the Reformation. Transubstantiation in 1215 says that the priest has the power to take that wafer and take that cup and change it literally into the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, not symbolically, not as a, a, a memorial, but literally. In uh, 1545, 
tradition was now equal to the scriptures. And in the Catholic Church, they really have three sources of divine truth. Scriptures, tradition, and on top of that, the magisterium. Anything that the bishops at the councils or the Pope ex cathedra declares. In 1870, papal infallibility, and then they made that retroactive. Anything the Pope officially declared, it's called ex cathedra, meaning from his throne in the cathedral, would be considered infallible, as well as any episcopal encyclicals that were then ratified. I guess you can use that word, even though that's not the word they use there. In 1854, I'm jumping around a little, but you see them before you. Uh, It became dogma, the Immaculate Conception. Many people hear that, even many Roman Catholics who don't know their doctrine, and they think that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ being immaculate immaculately conceived, but it refers to Mary that she was immaculately conceived and she lived a sinful life. And then some Catholic theologians started saying, well, if Mary never sinned, how could she have died? And so in 1950, the dogma was created the assumption of Mary that she was assumed into heaven. She, I guess, in Enoch and Elijah... She was no. So when you start to get to know, now we're not saying all this to be mean and ugly and say, oh, they have such. No. We have to separate looking at the church from looking at Roman Catholics, from looking at that authority. And I, I imagine most of you would know the picture we have there is the Vatican in Rome. It's that city state, it's its own country, landlocked in Rome called the Vatican. So let's look at the next one. Many of us would be familiar with this. The five solas, or you often see it soli, using the Roman plural, of the Reformation. And we can say them and know them. It's good to know that every one of them was a direct response to Roman Catholic error regarding salvation. And so, by grace alone, solo gratia was because in the Catholic Church, it was through grace and merit And merits were accrued. There's a treasury of merits up in heaven. And so when an indulgence would be purchased or acquired, it would be accessing the treasury of merits in heaven because Jesus had like perfect works all the time and Mary had perfect works all the time and the saints had so many more good works than bad works. There's a treasury in heaven and you could pay for that. And so when the abuse of them and the sale of them was exposed, the Catholic Church then said they've upheld all the time that indulgences still exist, but we don't sell them. That was done outside of the authority of Catholic Church. How many of you know that they're still sold today? Anyone in the Roman Catholic background knows what a mass card is. And that you're paying money for a mass card to pray so that they will pray and access. It's still there. So grace plus merit, sola fide, faith plus works. So those five pillars of the Reformation were all an answer. Solus Christo, sometimes you see solo Christo, either one. It's just the what do you call that, um, uh, that it's in in Latin, through Christ alone will be solo Christo. Christ alone mediates, would be solus Christus. 
extraneous data, waste of time. Sola Scriptura is the one we say the most. We say only the scriptures are the authority for faith and practice. That was an answer to scriptures plus tradition. And then Solo Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory, versus, well, we've got to share that glory, because it's not God alone, or Jesus alone as God, the second person of the Godhead, but also Mary and also the saints. So that gives us a little bit of background. One last thing. I'm going to give it three minutes if I can. It's going to be hard to do. The Catholic Mass would be very different from one of our services because it's a liturgy, which is a formulary for how to worship. It's described in great detail, and you cannot, you can't do this and say we're having a Mass, but it's going to be more like a seminar than a service. So it's very strict, and it's the liturgy of the word. Within that is the purification phase, and then the enlightenment phase as readings are done. And then finally, the liturgy of the Eucharist, and we must spend a couple minutes on this and get this. It's the heart of Catholicism, and it's the thing that most disqualifies Catholicism as a legitimate church. I take a harder line than most people. I don't just say it's not an apostolic, an apostolic church, but an apostate church. I actually would say and argue the case that it's a cult through and through. Most writers and authors won't do that because they exclude and offend so many people. I think that's largely the motivation. There are things that Roman Catholics share with us in their beliefs. I could show you a Venn diagram and we could throw a few things in there. But it's all the things outside of it. And this is the most blasphemous. The Eucharist is the priest, Christ still on the crucifix, And the priest has the power to sacrifice him continually before you receive him. So we need to understand this so that we can reach Christians understanding the heart of that that error. Let's watch a little video and then we'll get into tips and questions and answers. This one is a little longer, but it's important. The statement I'm about to read is considered imprimatur by the Catholic Church, which means it is official doctrine. The statement I'm about to quote is by John O'Brien, who's a Catholic priest. He says this about the Eucharist. When the priest announces the words of consecration, he reaches up into the heavens and brings Christ down from his throne and places him upon our altar to be offered up again as the victim, capital V, for the sins of man. It is a power greater than that of saints and angels. The priest speaks and lo, Christ, the eternal and omnipotent God, bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. Mike, why is the Catholic Eucharist blasphemy. This is amazing. It it just grieves me every time I hear that quote because here you have a sinful priest saying he has the power to call the omnipotent God down from heaven to continue on an altar what he finished on the cross. Jesus endured excruciating pain once for all sin for all time, but the Catholic Church denies that by continually offering him on an altar, and the priest will lift up this Eucharist, and Catholics will worship this as the Jesus that they believe as a Savior. 
And then the priest will lay it on the altar to be offered up again as a victim. Christ was never a victim. He went willingly to the cross to die for the sins of his people. And so by the authority of scripture, we can say this is a false Christ. This is a counterfeit Christ. This is an imposter that the Roman Catholic Church worships as the Jesus that saved them. And so how do we know? Well, we go to the authority of scripture. In Hebrews 9.28, we read that Jesus will return a second time and it will not be in relation to sin. And so this verse destroys the Roman Catholic Mass in two ways. Number one, they believe he comes every day at the beck and call of a priest. Number two, he's offered again as a propitiatory sacrifice, so it is indeed in relation to sin. Roman Catholicism needs to look at Hebrews 9.28. We also know it's an imposter because the Bible says when Jesus will return. It'll be after the tribulation when he steps foot on the Mount of Olives. He will return to the same place he left, which is the Mount of Olives. He will return in the same form he left in, and that is in a physical body, all it be in an immortal body. But by the authority of Scripture, we can say this is a false Christ. We also see that there's no need for Jesus to continue on an altar what he finished on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, he died once for all sin, for all time. There are no more offerings for sin. And yet the Roman Catholic Church continues this blasphemous practice of representing Jesus on an altar that he finished on the cross. It is really tragic. And oftentimes I'm asked the question, If a Roman Catholic becomes born again by repenting and believe the gospel, can he remain in the Catholic Church? I say absolutely not. Why would you continue the sin of idolatry? No, you need to come out and worship God in spirit and in truth, John 4.24. That is the heart of it. We could talk about lots of other things, different Ten Commandments, remove the thing about idols and graven images and adding another. We can talk about a lot of those other things, but it's important also for us because we'll go to different family members' functions, the Catholic part of our family, and it might include a Mass. We should never participate in the Mass. And we certainly should never think, well, they're all doing it, so I'll do it, and I'll walk up and receive that because of that. And I know we don't want to offend our Roman Catholic family members, and it's a wedding and it has a mass, or it's a funeral and there is a mass. We should never participate in that. Knowing what it is makes us realize it's blasphemy. Uh, Brother Kevin, if you wouldn't mind being one, I only had two, and then we'll have George and Dennis. We have three mics, because there might be a number of questions. I'm going to open it up for question and answer. At the same time, I'm going to be given some tips for evangelism. Number one, pray. We've already said it. Pray for God to open their eyes. The indoctrination is one way that they are spiritually blind. So pray. Relate. Don't debate. Don't win an argument and lose an opportunity Lose a soul to do that in shorthand. He that winneth souls is wise. There's a wisdom to it. You can't take all this stuff and go look it up and present it all to a Roman Catholic. Be wise. Don't ridicule. Don't confront. Don't argue. Don't be rude. 
recognize this. I'll stop with three out of, I think I have 13 to 15 of them here. Let's uh, stop with three for now. Recognize this. The biggest error you will make is to do nothing. The biggest error will be to leave here and do nothing. Be intentional. Make a plan. Start praying for Roman Catholic people you know and do something. We'll give some more tips, but let's open up for a couple questions. Can you briefly summarize how you would differentiate between witnessing to a Roman Catholic who knows what they believe and one who doesn't? Excellent question. How do you differentiate between you, uh, you have a practicing Catholic who knows what they believe versus someone who doesn't know at all? In both cases, you want to get to the gospel. It's how you may get to the gospel in the way you do that. And so ask questions, ask a lot of questions, and don't refute their wrong answers right away. It works in both cases, but where you'll have questions and more dialogue with a believer, you don't want to refute right away. Thank you. And then you weave it back when you're given the gospel, rather than they say, well, we believe that we... uh, we don't worship Mary. We venerate Mary. You don't have to answer right away. Well, you know, there's no difference. Look up venerate, and venerate just means worship. You don't have to win that argument because you're going to the gospel, but you could come back around to it later. Probably not a full answer, but that's part of it. Great question. Thank you. Any others? Bev. Well, I just wanted to say that when people ask me what religion I am, I always tell them I'm a born-again Christian because you're really not a Christian unless you are born again. And Jesus said you must be born again. And uh, he's my savior. Thank you. Appreciate that. Good. I don't mind an insight given instead of a question. I'll take it any day of the week. Any other questions? To Well, maybe you'll think of some more as I share some of these different tips. So pray, relate, don't debate. Recognize the biggest error would be to do nothing at all. Remember that most Catholics were born into Catholicism and they have a strong brand loyalty. So you should expect resistance. You should expect stubborn resistance and that indoctrination that they receive into loyalty to the church and it's tied into your family and it's tied into your culture expect that kind of opposition so don't make it a whole bunch of confrontation you might have to take a whole bunch of attempts to get there you probably are going to have to build a relationship one thing you can do is ask permission Would it be all right if I shared something that often works to bring their guard guard down? Uh, Number five, do not assume that Roman Catholics know their own doctrine. Now, in Pastor Walker's case, he says, basically, some kind of know their doctrine and know more, and others are not even practicing or care. But don't even assume that the ones who are very religious really know their doctrine. Some of them do, and they follow these Catholic apologists, and they have answers for things we might typically say. They're not accurate answers, but ways to refute you. So just keep getting out there, meeting with Catholics, talking with them. As in any type of evangelism efforts, you get more used to it and better at it the more you do it. 
When you get away from a little formula to get them to say a little prayer, but you develop a relationship and share truth. So that's what you would do. Broadly speaking, there are three categories. The religious, the regressed, and the regenerated. Some who are born again or believe they are, but are in the uh, Catholic Church. Uh, If you were to get in more detail, I could read a whole list. The traditional ones with pre-Vatican II mindset, conservative, liberal, Protestant, those who converted out of Protestant churches, the nominal, social, the syncretistic Catholics. Realize that a lot of Roman Catholics you'll deal with, many of them being from foreign countries, have amalgamated so many things of their culture into their Catholicism that you're dealing not just with Catholic doctrine, but belief. Big in Samoa. Big in Samoa. They bring all these cultural things into the Mass, and they're so tied together. Mindy, you have a question. In the beliefs of a Roman Catholic... Go ahead. Go ahead. A, Give her the mic. Is there a difference in beliefs between a Roman Catholic and a Catholic? Is there a difference? Catholic is just a general term. Uh, Roman Catholic... The thing would be, are Roman Catholics different from Eastern Orthodox and some other branches? There are some, yes, there are differences between them. When I say Catholic, Roman Catholic, I'm using it interchangeably. Yes, sir. Um, I 100% agree with you that it's a cult. Um, I have two questions. The first question is, are there any examples of that you know of, of the Pope speaking ex-cathedra, that have, just like the so-called prophecies of the end times that have been proven false? And number two, how do you, how do you or how do you suggest uh, addressing the argument that when you're uh, presenting the gospel, um, even if you're doing it in the best way possible, many Catholics, at least in my family, they consider even just raising the question to be, quote-unquote, disrespectful okay so on the first I don't know any off the top of my head I would recommend looking up someone named Mike Gendron just go on YouTube and look up his seminar at Revolve Revolve Bible Church I don't know the church don't know a lot about him but he in one of those videos he gives a whole lot of uh, data on that a little 799 book from Amazon They lean more toward easy believism than I like. It's called Bringing the Gospel to Roman Catholics. has some nice lists in it of that nature, but off the top of my head, I I can't think of them. I could just go back to the ones that I wrote up on the board, but it would take too much time. As far as with talking to your own family and bringing those things up, I would always artfully move away. I would move away from talking church. And talk relationship. Get away from religion. Talk about relationship. Share about your relationship with Christ. And try to get them to be comfortable enough to speak about their relationship with Christ. And that's kind of a way. I've had an in with a few family members over the years. But they're tough. Do we have one here? Yes. Just to follow up on that. uh, My experience has been when a person is interested the family tradition comes after them with excommunication. No longer part of the family. I mean, they're just on their own 100%. I wonder if Emmy experienced that. Did Emmy experience some of that? Yes. Fortunately, her dad was more balanced, but 
<clears throat> Amy's mom, when she called and told her, Amy held the phone this far away, and I was probably about your distance, and I could hear every word her mom was saying, and I didn't know her mom knew some of those words. So, yes, she faced that. The good news is, some years later, Emmy got to lead her mother to the Lord, and she was the first one baptized and added to Asau Baptist Church. Yes, sir. Um, is, what's the difference like with the Latin Catholics? I, must, I know that they do a lot of Latin and learn a lot of prayers. So that's probably, if I understand it correctly, that's probably the pre-Vatican II where the priest uses Latin and he does it this way. Haec est corpus, rather than this is his body which is given for you through him with him instead of facing. So that's pre-Vatican one that they really don't like things that open in Vatican II where the windows were open as it was a drive toward ecumenism. That's probably what that means, but I'm, I'm not familiar with that title. That would be my guess. Good. More questions. Yes, sir. Who started the Roman Catholic Church? Said, Who started the church? The Roman Catholic Church kind of evolved. Most people put it to... Help me out, historians, preachers, Alexander, uh, Constantine, was that 303, 330? That's where when it became a state church and you had favor and it was an attempt to unite a kingdom, that's kind of where it started becoming Catholic. And after that, that's when some of the doctrines, 431, baptism regenerates. That's where you started getting Catholic error. And of course, you had a lot of amalgamation with other cultures there. They would claim it started with Peter. The first real recognized pope wasn't until in the 500s. Jim, are you talking about purgatory and what Catholics believe in purgatory? <clears throat> Let me frame it with this. My mom was very Roman Catholic, raised us as Roman Catholic. Thank God uh, she was saved. At the end, I spoke to her. Hallelujah. She passed and she was saved, but... She believed, and I think this is a dangerous belief, that she didn't have to make a decision in this life. She could wait because she would pass, be in purgatory, and people would be praying for her, and then she could get to heaven. So could you speak? Well, that? that would be an error even for Roman Catholic doctrine because they separate sin into mortal and venial sins. Venial sins can be paid off. Mortal sins cut you off from God. So... That wouldn't even include not going to Mass, but even to say, I don't have to decide if Christ is Christ and, and all of that. But purgatory is that in-between place that you find nowhere in scriptures. So they brought in apocryphal books, and they took from Maccabees alms for the dead, and alms and prayers for the dead, and they brought that in much later to try to answer the Reformation. Purgatory is an in-between place where uh, sins are able to be expiated th uh, through the prayers of the saints, uh, pulling out of that treasury box I, I spoke of. So that's what pur purgatory is. But we know it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment, we know that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I have a friend that I've talked to several times about this, and she believes that She's Catholic. She believes that she, Jesus died and rose again for her sins, but yet 
as soon as I approach the subject about Mary, it becomes hands-off. And how do you sensitively talk about that? Keep getting back to Jesus and try to bring them to Jesus alone. And if you can, you go through uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and get a discussion going on about mediator. You just kind of, it's always helpful if you could lead someone to say, oh, then this doesn't make sense and try to carry them there. Yes, the devotion to Mary, Mary has more titles than Jesus. She is endowed with omniscience because she can hear and answer your prayer, all kinds of things. And Roman Catholics are, that's another core right next to the Eucharist. Yeah, I don't know if, I I didn't really give you an answer, but I understand why you keep uh, coming against that. Good. I see you, Pastor, and I'll look if I'm missing anybody else. All right. Pastor, I'll go to you first and then there. Would you consider it a good practice in evangelism when you're talking to Catholics to agree that if they come to your church, you would go to theirs? That's a hard one. I would not if it, because it would mean participating in the Mass. So no, I would not, I would advise against it myself because I know what the Mass is. Everything about the Mass, going in and genuflecting, you're kneeling to a wafer in a box. The making of the sign of the cross, and even sometimes kissing your thumb afterwards, it's not just a sign for them. You're praying. They do it when they go past cemeteries because they're praying for the dead. Uh, They genuflect when they go in because they realize the actual body of Christ is in that box. So, no, I say stay absolutely away from the Roman Catholic Mass, but I would never answer them that way. <laughs> you first? <laughs> Over here. Um, you mentioned earlier that the Catholic Ten Commandments have been stripped out, uh, all of the stuff about idolatry and worshiping images. What have they replaced them with? I mean, is it still Ten the, Commandments? Or it's is still it Ten Commandments. Short? It's just three to God and seven to man. And they take the last one and say, Commandment 9, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Commandment 10, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's oxen and goods, etc., etc. Okay, so that's they that's how they do that. To make they, up for the additional number. They took, they, yes, they just took it out. Can we show those screens real fast? There's the Catholic ones. They took out the second commandment. And they divided nine and ten. Okay, I'm trying to know who. I I love that there are lots of questions. Yes. If we share from our Bible, is that going to be acceptable to a Catholic? Most Catholics do not trust anything Protestant, especially if they're indoctrinated that way. Use their Bible. Even if they go upstairs and bring the big family Catholic Bible, that that's big, that big. And then walk them through the plan of salvation or teach them a truth and say, let's look at this verse. May I use your Bible? Because you're most likely to get there a lot faster than they, if you know what I mean. Great question. Use their Bible. You can still give the gospel. Can you keep the ten Catholic Ten Commandments up for somebody? Yes, sir. So even without the second commandment being in there, the Bible, how do they deal with all the times that Israel and Judah 
went to idols and God repeatedly punished them for it. You don't know? Okay. I, I, can't, I can't make sense out of the justification of that. Usually they'll say we don't worship, we venerate. I see so many. I hope I can get them all. I'll go to Conrad and then I'll come over to this gentleman. Am I missing somebody over here? Okay, Conrad, you're up first. And then, can you and ref- then Kathy, and then I'll go back. Yes. Um, can you briefly, uh, briefly refer to the additional books that they have in their Bible and how they use that at times then to reference purgatory? I, I think, I think the one books. is somewhere in First or Second Maccabees. I wouldn't remember after all these years where it is. So that's one example. There are others. What are they, M. Tobit? I couldn't even remember off the top of my head. It's been so long ago. Easy to look up. I think even this book may have it in its lists, the one I mentioned, but they're real easy to, to look up when the apocryphal books came in and, and why. <clears throat> yeah, often there's a, they're just based on because a pope said it and the priest said it. Uh, but in some cases, they try to support their doctrine with that. In others, they'll use our scriptures and draw conclusions. There are venial sins and mortal sins. Look what it says in Revelation that no idolater, no blah, 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 will get into heaven. Those are the mortal ones, but these over here are venial. Kathy? Uh, Pastor, I just wanted to know, being I was a former Catholic, where did confession to a priest that he could give you absolution for your sins, where did that come from? It came in the early church. I saw it on one of the lists. I don't remember the year. But it's all part of the fact that the priest himself is a mediator. You must go through him to receive Christ. And if you're really wise, you're going to receive Christ every day and go to daily Mass. But at least go every Sunday so that your week's sins can be done. But don't go receive the Eucharist if you haven't confessed your sin and he can absolve you through that, give you penance to do. I'll be like, in other words, he's taking the place of God. He is absolutely what? is. Well, you heard that quote by John O'Brien that, uh, that the priest has the power to get omnipotent Jesus to bow down in obedience and come to continue his sacrifice because when he said it is finished, it really wasn't. So you can see the illogic in that. Yes, sir. Um, just going back to uh, using their Bible, also be careful and research it first also because their Bible has changed very key verses. So, it, for example, verses that say Mary and his brothers came right. to their they version have. doesn't say that. So keep that in mind that key verses that um, speak of the deity of Christ that, that really present the gospel has been changed. They know, like they're not, they're not stupid. The, mm-hmm. the, the Vatican is not stupid in that regard. That, and that, they have excellent point. You would not want to use their Bible permanently. Or, but in starting to talk with them and showing them things, you'll be surprised. You'll find almost Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 is, is the same. It would be like going from CEV to King James or something. The substance in most things is the same. But you're right. They have some things. They have not gone as far in changing as other cults like JWs and stuff like that. But yes, but in getting them to start to get into the Bible and be able to talk and reference one of their authorities. Starting point, excellent point. You don't want to keep going. 
Okay. Yes, ma'am. Um, I was raised in the Catholic Church also, and by God's grace, um, five out of six of us siblings are, are born again now. Praise the Lord. Um, we recently uh, buried my mom in the Catholic Church, so I'm listening to you say, I would never go in the Catholic Church, and I was there for the whole um, Mass and everything, but I didn't go to communion, but my siblings who were believers had no problem going to communion, so I don't get that, but... Um, but anyway, uh, I run into a lot of people saying, uh, when I meet people, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And I learned early on, like Bev says, I say, well, I'm a born-again Christian. See, because I notice so many people, especially in the Catholic Church, they don't say, I'm a Catholic. They say, I'm a Christian. And when you say, I'm a born-again Christian, then, mm-hmm. then right away it comes, becomes about church. Oh, well, just because you go to the Baptist church, oh, you go to the Catholic church. So right off the bat, it's awkward. So what do you do when a person calls themselves a Christian, but they're not? How do you explain to them what? You just shift your language out. Um, At the end, I'm going to take a couple minutes and read through some more tips. But there you just go to another place instead of saying, Oh, you're saying you're a Christian, but a Christian is really this. You shift your question. So, uh, hey, when did you put your faith in Christ alone to have a personal relationship? Or where do you think people go after they die? Where do you, you know, you just approach salvation. Praise God, it's so, such a wonderful truth and it's so rich that we can approach it in a lot of different ways without needing to be contradictory. Because you'll come. The best thing is for them to come to that realization because you took them another way to the gospel. Great stuff, Carrie. And I see you, Bev. I'll be back. I'm a recovering Catholic, so I was born into (laughs) it, raised into it, went through all the sacraments. Um, Can you talk about, like, Ash Wednesday and the ashes and Lent? Because there's nothing biblical about it. And my boss Mm -hmm. came into work Ash Wednesday Mm -hmm. with ashes, and she's like, you're a Christian, why don't you have the ashes? And I'm like, there's nothing in the Bible about it. Can you no, it's all, I don't, can't quite remember off the top of my head to go into a full ex- explanation, but all that liturgical stuff in Lent, and can I say, Baptists and Evangelicals, don't get liturgical and don't get Catholic. Like when the service changes and we don't do it the way we always do, or we use a guitar instead of an organ or something, get over it. We're not liturgical in that sense. We're, we're not Catholic. We don't get hung up on Catholic furniture. I, I mean, no. So we don't even want to drift toward that. Me, because I'm so serious about this, I'm a little uncomfortable with a cross with lights on it. Not really. <laughs> I'm being a little bit silly, but you understand what, what I mean by that, what I'm saying. But I'm sorry I don't remember the answer uh, on Ash Wednesday. Okay, anyone else who has a question to hold them? I'm going to assume we can take a couple minutes because there are questions. But I'm going to fire through some of these because there are more, more things. Tips on reaching Roman Catholics. Begin to study Roman Catholic beliefs. You don't have to become a scholar. Look up Mike Gendron and look at his videos and go through them. Order a $7.99 book. At least familiarize yourself with them one-third of the people around you are somehow uh, connected. And so that will at least 
let you hear when they say something and it, you could figure out more where they're coming from. Don't get don't speak as a Catholic authority. Don't get caught up in the Inquisition and the martyrs and the Jesuit closets and the uh, intelligentsia of the church and uh, the Jesuits or the Illuminati. Don't do that. You sound like a conspiracy nut and a Catholic hater to a Catholic. I was on the other side of that. Stick with the gospel and stuff like that. When they get saved and get on fire, they'll be the ones talking about that stuff. Don't do that. All you do is offend them and push them away. Share your testimony. I was in Canada, got to a church about an hour early where I was going to present the Samoan Islands, and the pastor said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I have this elderly couple, Mike and Emmy, what was Helen Giovanazzo, and he invited me in to give my testimony. They were 79 and 83 lifelong Catholics, And just when I shared my testimony of coming out, it opened up. Those two got gloriously saved and have been in that church up until now. It's been a few years since I've been back to the church. I wouldn't even know if they're living. But I would know that they got saved and got on fire for Christ. Uh, Share your testimony. Go for the gospel and leave lots of other things until later, unless it helps them get over a hurdle to receiving Christ. Uh, don't get lured into talking about all the controversial topics like if Mary had siblings. You know, to them, her perpetual virginity precludes that, so they have to change those things and say, well, they use those words for cousins too, and stuff like that. Use their Bible, ask lots of questions, but not trick questions or questions to try to corner them. Ask sincerely because you'll be learning more about how Catholic thinks, Catholics think and you'll be starting to figure out, okay, this is hardcore Catholic. This is a person who hasn't been in a, in a mass in 30 years. On the mass question that came up, I want to get back to that. I'm not saying don't ever go into a Catholic church like it's a funeral. Don't participate in the mass. Don't genuflect and kneel and think to fit in or do that. There are going to be times where there's something that you will walk through the doors. Uh, I certainly have at my uncle's funerals and stuff like that. And I have gotten up and given testimonies. And the family always asks me to do it. I get to give the gospel in the Catholic Church. They don't let you do it during the Mass, but right before the Mass. So I'm not saying don't ever go into a Catholic Church. Okay. Don't ask the wrong questions. Not enough time. I'm going to give two minutes. So if anyone else has a question, because we're already over time. Did I miss anybody? Yes, I thought I saw a hand back there. Uh, When I think of the word cult, I think of um, something to do with Satan. So I I just thought maybe that was a bit of... uh, They they had the doctrine, many errors. I'm a former Catholic. And I had no problem when I was invited to a Christian church because I hadn't been to church for so long. I had drifted mm-hmm. away, as many Catholics do. But um, to hear it referred to as a, as a cult, I think that is a word synonymous with something like devilish. And, I mean, when you think about they have that Catholic charities and they believe in the, the sign of the cross was the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I didn't think it had anything to do with the dead, but I learned a lot tonight, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I just thought cult was kind of a strong word. And the idea, too, um, that Pastor Walker had of inviting, you know, vice versa about the churches, 
might be a good idea because I always felt like in the Christian churches, it's so much more educational, biblical, the pastors make you laugh. When you go to a Catholic church, at times it does feel like you're in a funeral because it's so dead and repetitive. Mm -hmm. So if they saw the difference, you know, that in itself, just coming into a Protestant church would be like something Mm -hmm. attractive to play both sides. Great, great thoughts. Appreciate the thoughts. Uh, I would not be in judgment of somebody for going to a mass for that purpose. Uh, I would at least say don't participate. The cult... Yeah, I know that's abrasive. Uh, I understand that. But you actually answered your own question by saying, I thought a cult was something where the devil got in there. The devil got in there. The blasphemy of someone saying, I stand between you and God and am bringing Jesus down, that's always the devil's intention. Yeah, so that's why I classify it as a cult. I would not use that language when I'm talking to to a Roman Catholic. I realize this is televised and someone can listen to it and I understand that and if a Roman Catholic came, I'm so angry. So I would want to be loving but I would want every one of us to leave here and say the desire to reach Roman Catholics and pull them out of that not saying, well, a lot of them might be saved and it's not really a big deal because they're also Christian and they do believe in the Trinity and Jesus as a sex. So it's really not that bad. It really is. Even though you, like I for many years, would not have known all that stuff. We would have just participated. But I think it is important for us to draw that line really closely. But if you're not comfortable, I'm not saying, therefore, you should go around and say it's a cult. It is a conviction of mine that I would hold to. I wouldn't argue about it with somebody Pablo, Hi. welcome. Pablo is here for the first time visiting, and praise the Lord, I got to meet this very kind gentleman. Pablo, I didn't mean to embarrass you, but welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Um, earlier you said that there was different uh, arms of the Catholic Church. Is, there, is that the same with Christianity? Yes, yeah, so in, among Christians there are a lot of what are called different denominations, and then there are even some churches who say we don't belong to any denomination or, you know, we're not Catholic. Broadly, they're referred to as different Protestant churches. It could be Methodist and Lutheran. And you could have all different kind of Christian churches that are usually defined by certain doctrines and interpretations. But you've come into a church that's a Baptist church. And at the Baptist church, our faith is the authority for all our faith and practice is right from the Word of God. So the one that you picked when you said, today I'm going to church, is a good place to be. One That's a question. very short one answer. One more question. Yes, sir. Um, I recently did some yard work, I, I thought in the name of the Lord, but um, I got a statue of Mary. I prayed to Jesus and God, and I asked her to watch over that land for me. Is that... I would not pray to Mary. I would do exactly what Mary said in the scriptures when Jesus changed the water into wine. She said to them, do what he says. Yeah, well, Mary, Mary never lifted I didn't her pray head. to Mary. She was just the statue I had there. I prayed to Jesus and God only. Oh, yes, good. But I had Mary look over that land that I just worked. Is that... I'm not sure I understand that you put a statue of Mary yeah, there. Yeah, and I asked her to watch over this land for me. 
Oh, for Mary to do that? I wouldn't advise that practice, and we could talk more, more about it. I just love that you're searching, Pablo. That's awesome. All right, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Good. Okay, Bev, you're going to get to... All right, Bev and then Tim are going to close us out. I was just going to say, in the 1950s, when I was a little kid going to elementary school, my Catholic friends always told me I was going to hell because I wasn't Catholic. But I never could find the verse in the Bible that says, if you're, you're going to hell if you're not Catholic. I didn't know where that was. And I still today haven't found that verse. <clears throat> I, I haven't either, but I'm glad you brought that up before we go to Tim, because it was going to be my closing thought. Get a glimpse anew of hell and think that one-third of the people you interact with very likely do not know the gospel. Get a fresh glimpse. Think about the weight of that in scriptures. And I don't care if it's reaching Catholics or reaching anyone. If Missions Month isn't something that draws us into a reality, it's God's work. He's the one who opens eyes, but he tells us to go out, to share the gospel, to build relationships. And if we're not doing that for Catholics or others, get a glimpse of the gravity of of what that means. We are mailmen, sorry, mail carriers, taking the message. That's how God does it. Our job is to obey and do it. His job is to do it. Tim, you really are our last person because I don't want to ignore you. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Um, So it comes back to to the basics and Catholics are the same as every other person on earth. They're either a believer and maybe some are. Or they're not a believer and that's the church. The believers are the church. And one of the things that's been effective is asking, are you going to heaven? Are you sure of heaven? And the answer you'll get, in my experience, in doing this, is I try to be a good person. And now you know where you stand, because that'll never work. And the second thing you can say is, Jesus said you must be born again. And I'm, and, and Bev's point is very pointed because then the question is what does that mean or and that's true and again for Catholics or or others and and then you have the opportunity to you know continue relating and and doing all the things you're saying which I can only concur but I but I think there's a misnomer because if people have been misinformed their whole life and reinforced in that misinformation. And then you look at it from the point of view of, will it lead to their salvation? No, they're receiving lies. And they have been taught and steeped in those lies. Then we know where lies come from. And the only solution is to give them the real Jesus. And, and thank you very much for, for your presentation I've learned a lot and I value it very highly we are uh, I'm not sure it was you Pastor Walker but at one point it was it was brought up about this area and it's well well over half is two thirds or maybe even three quarters of this area has some Catholic underpinnings Mm -hmm. so praise God there is a there is a harvest field white for 
the harvest. Excellent. Thank you for that. The Catholic definition of born again is different than the biblical one, and it's tied to their baptismal regeneration. So it is good to say born again Christian to have a thing, but you can ask a Catholic, are you born again? And they can say yes. So uh, you learn in Kingdom of the Cults, there's a whole chapter called Scaling the Language Barrier. Even though that book doesn't deal with Catholicism, it deals with many others, the same applies. Thank you all for allowing me this extra time and all these questions. I'll be glad to talk about this with anyone, anytime, anywhere. I often don't have the answers, but we'll try to help you get them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for reminding us of our mission field right in front of us and allowing us to specifically focus on the Roman Catholic portion of that. We love you and praise you. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great evening.